TUC Radio, Time of Useful Consciousness. The Secret Side of Free Trade, Vandana Shiva, from GATT to the World Trade Organization. When the rules of the GATT, the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, were rewritten and the World Trade Organization formally established in 1995, the world was promised peace, prosperity, and an end to hunger. However, the WTO, with now 164 members and representing over 98% of global trade, kept none of its promises. Today, in 2022, there is no peace, the gap between rich and poor is larger than ever, and the environment is devastated by mining, logging, fishing, and industrial agriculture. What role has global trade played in all this? In 2015, the United Nations adopted the Sustainable Development Goals as a universal call to action to end poverty, protect the planet, and ensure peace for all people. The WTO members were specifically mandated to reduce subsidies to factory fishing. These floating fish processing fleets have resulted in a collapse of fish stock worldwide. That demand fell short in their ministerial meeting in Geneva in June 2022. Subsidies such as cheaper fuel for the industry which are one of the main drivers of overfishing, were not included in the agreement. The top five subsidizers of factory fishing, by the way, are China, the European Union, the U.S., South Korea, and Japan. At the same WTO conference in June of 2022, Poor countries had hoped to get COVID vaccinations, treatment, and testing expanded to the world. But the WTO ministerial declared that the intellectual property rights of the pharmaceutical corporations had priority and needed to be protected. Doctors Without Borders called this decision, quote, a devastating global failure for people the world over. Today's speaker, Vanana Shiva, was recorded in the early 1990s by filmmaker Elizabeth Garsonen and by me, Mariah Gillardin. And it is extraordinary how she and other speakers in this Secret Side of Free Trade series predicted what was to come. This is how I introduced her in 1994. This is TUC Radio San Francisco, the secret side of free trade. The fox in our forest is someone else's fur coat. Vandana Shiva, scientist and activist, is equally at home as university teacher in physics and as one of the speakers for the Chipko movement in India. That movement, mainly consisting of women, has protected forests from government loggers. Vandana Shiva lives in the Himalayas and is involved in a program of native seed collecting. Her special contribution to the global environmental movement is her analysis of the role of science in erasing biodiversity and breaking down of communities. 
Vandana Shiva was invited to speak at a conference on the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade in Bern, Switzerland. She is one of the most vocal critics of the GATS attempt to transform the agriculture of the 120-plus member countries to the industrial model of farming. Vandana Shiva. Sustainability of agriculture includes the people who make agriculture possible. In my region in particular, I know that sustainability is impossible without people. The terraced fields of the Himalayas would not be maintained if there were not women maintaining and repairing them every season. You abandon a village in the Himalaya and you get landslides. You do not get ecological recovery. People are necessary to make ecological agriculture possible because unlike chemicals, ecological agriculture is people friendly. It needs people. It needs people to weed. It needs people to transfer organic matter from cow sheds to fields. It needs hands. And it does not see those hands as a burden. It does not see those hands as the GATT document says, surplus resources, or surplus farmers that have to be structurally retired out of agriculture. In fact, the one and only way for sustainable agriculture and environmental recovery in agriculture is through people. Through people becoming part of ecosystems, not trying to dominate them and manipulate them. We've just had a very recent experience with what free trade in agriculture would mean for the third world. And we also realize that GATT is not the only platform through which this kind of distorted free trade will be forced on us. Because the World Bank's structural adjustment programs do exactly the same thing as GATT's programs would do. And we also realize that for the handful of very powerful people who are trying to run the states of affairs on this planet, pretending they are the global interest and pretending we are merely local, will use whatever means for, comes their way. If GATT fails, it will continue to be the IMF and World Bank. Poor people get subsidies. The powerful get incentives and patents. The subsidies of the powerful always go by another name. And therefore, it will never be under the scrutiny of GATT. In my view, patents are the biggest subsidy that GATT is offering the powerful agribusiness companies. It's a subsidy it is offering agribusiness at the cost of millions of farmers who have innovated over centuries to give us the diversity of crops we have. Dr. Schelling talked about how industrial seed industry is discovering drought-prone seeds. I thought they'd been discovered long ago by farmers working in drought-prone regions. Well, this notion of discovery, which has to be rewarded today, so that all the discoveries of the past get erased from our memory, is to me theft. It's the theft of our knowledge heritage. It's our theft of our biodiversity heritage. It's a theft of our basic right to survival. The second problem I've had about the so-called free trade, which to us is very clearly just basically to create freedom for transnationals and rob the freedom 
of citizens who are engaged in production and consumption of food according to their ecologies, according to their cultures, and according to all the diversity that makes life worth living. And they have been the least responsible about environmental protection. A myth we have is that you need growth of the $200 billion that every newspaper in every country every day is repeating as a magical keyword for why we need free trade. Uh, we need that growth so that you can invest in environmental protection. Why do we first need to destroy the environment in agriculture to then need the growth to fix it? There are many destructions that money cannot fix. For instance, the extinction of species. No amount of pumping of money can bring back the amazing millets, the amazing oil seeds that in India have disappeared in large pockets. Protection is the only mechanism because at least in ecological disruption, there are many areas in which there is no cure, not even with money. The second problem about the environmental issues as being discussed in GATT is that we are told in the GATT's trade and environment document that environmental policy will stay a domestic affair. But agricultural policy has to be global because someone's domestic production is someone else's market. The problem is the same thing is happening with the environment. Someone else's resource is someone else's market, which is why we are finding it so difficult to protect the tropical rainforest. Because for the people of Sarawak and Papua New Guinea and Indonesia, that forest might be home. But for the Japanese companies that are logging it, it is just a market. And one of the reasons it's not been easy to have environmental protection where there is global trade pressure on environmental resources is because some people's life support systems are other people's markets. For instance, because of the Green Revolution, it has paid to destroy old, tall varieties to substitute them by dwarf varieties. It has paid to destroy diverse systems of agriculture, to have monocultures. Because you have now given value to that destruction, it is impossible to reproduce the system through that same logic. And I know that because in Punjab, in the state of Punjab, where the Green Revolution has created absolute social and political havoc, in that state of Punjab, the ag agricultural scientists are realizing you cannot keep pumping more agriculture, and they go to the farmers and say, leave your fields fallow for a season. And the farmers turn around and say, you have made an economic package that works if we cultivate for three seasons. How do you expect us to leave it fallow? for one season without giving the kind of support of not being penalized on the market. The rewards that come from the logic of return to nature are very different from the rewards that come from international trade. And ecologically, I think it is either an error or a deliberate distortion to say the two overlap intimately. A third problem I have with the asymmetry involved in talk about the environment in GATT is this phrase, someone's domestic production is someone else's market. Now, if that's the case, then the someone who's domestically producing should have as much say as the someone who wants to find a market by displacing that domestic production. GATT is basically working with a loaded dice, loaded in favor of transnational business and against farmers of every country. The third very, very strong problem related 
to the same issue, is the business of intellectual property rights. Intellectual property rights, I think, are the kind of areas where we can explore in debate and dialogue much further exactly how much commitment GATT, and if we get the MTO, have towards the protection of this planet. Because agriculture and environment, we know, are not that separate. Natural resources are the very base of agriculture. And if you can say that the domestic policy for environment, which is the domestic policy for natural resources, which should in rural communities become the domestic policy for agriculture, then there's something inconsistent with saying agriculture policy has to be globally determined. And the same goes for issues of patents and intellectual property rights. The market has never been the place where environmental protection has emerged. In the area of life, the life of plants, the life of animals, the life of farming communities, we know that it will be other issues, other values, other foundations of existence which will determine whether we as a planetary community, as one group of species of a planetary community, will be able to live into the time horizons that GATT does not even think of because it is thinking of somebody's market today in the here and the now. We need to think a little longer. That was Vana Nashiva recorded at a conference on the GATT in Switzerland. When she gave that talk in 1989, the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade had not yet been renamed the World Trade Organization. The WTO was formally established in 1995. Filmmaker Elizabeth Garsonen interviewed Vanana Shiva for her 1993 film, The Secret Side of Free Trade. Cultural systems need economic viability. They need a context in which they're allowed to survive. GATT, by allowing free trade of grain and food products, for instance, will allow dumping of cheap exports from the big countries with big exporting agencies. What that will basically lead to is a dismembering of our rural communities. So there won't be a culture. There won't be people to keep that culture alive, and there won't be people to keep ecology alive through that culture, because they'll be turned or into overnight destitutes very much of the kind we see in Africa. Africa's crisis is ecological because people have been forced to move out of rural areas because cheap food imports has forced them to stop being agriculturists and farmers. And being uprooted from the land, they have all become refugees. The refugees of sub-Saharan Africa are basically refugees created by cheap food imports. And that is the scenario that GATS free trade will create. In that context, there is no time, no place, no location for culture. Culture needs a place. It needs a rooting. It needs a belonging. From time immemorial, farmers of the third world, farmers of other parts of the world, have selected seed improved seed, saved seed, reproduced seed, and they've done it as a grift from nature to them and from them to each other. Seed has never been a private property. But in recent years, 
big business has found that they could turn seed into a commodity and turn seed supply into a major market. The first place where they tried it out was with hybrids. Hybrids do not reproduce seed. Hybrids only produce the crop. You cannot use the saving of a grain from hybrid maize, for instance, to renew next year's crop. That was like a biological patent. Now the multinational seed companies want legal patents to prevent farmers from saving their own seed. That has already been achieved by deleting from the union uh, on plant variety protection, UPOP, the clause that allowed farmers to save their own seed even when the seed had been bred by breeders. GATT is taking that one step further and basically saying no farmer will be allowed to save their seed because some company has decided that that seed is their market. And they do that through the pretension that a few scientists who are paid by these corporations are creating this diversity with which we have been gifted by nature. They take on this role of man as creator, and technocratic and corporate man as creator, and claim innovation rewards through patents and monopoly protection. There's another clause in GATT which is related to the reversal of burden of proof, which basically says that it is not the accused who will be treated as innocent unless proven guilty. It will be the accuser who will be treated as right. And with the reversal of burden of proof and the existence of broad patents as they are emerging, particularly in countries like US, where companies have got patterns on 260 characteristics of individual plants or all the protein, uh, high yield protein characteristics of all plants or the yellowness of flowers or the greenness of leaves, when they're getting that broad in their patent claims, they can use the burden of proof reversal and the threat of cross-retaliation where they use threats on software exports being limited because of what you're doing in agriculture or what your farmers are doing in agriculture to basically force farmers into the market, into stopping to produce their own crops and save their own seed. We can imagine very quickly that this will lead to massive devastation of biodiversity because when farmers cannot save their own seed and have to become the markets for multinationals, then the multinationals are limited. They, they want to produce five crops from which they can get their starch and their protein and use it to process into the diversified products we get on supermarket shelves. They will force farmers into dependency. In fact, the end of farmers as farmers, the end of seed as seed, is the end of farmers as farmers. Farmers will then either be refugees of the kind we see in sub-Saharan Africa, or they will be contract labor of the kind we see in the USA. As specific tastes of the threat to the survival and their existence comes, farmers are willing to listen a little more to the kind of warnings people like us have been giving. If warnings are abstract till in some way they can relate to it concretely because no farming community can imagine that there is such vicious planning at the global level that is writing them off from the planet and writing off their rights just so a handful of corporations can have a little more business for a few short years. GATT basically makes a triviality of all democratic institutions that have been created over centuries, through which societies have made decisions, through which diverse interest groups have resolved their conflicting interests. And it is a setting 
which creates the rule of monopoly powers. It pretends to do it by removing government intervention and allowing the market to dictate policies. But what's forgotten is that when global corporations have annual budgets, which go way beyond the annual budgets of entire third world countries, how those corporations will dictate the terms is in fact far more totalitarian and far worse in terms of democracy than any government dictatorship. Vandana Shiva. Later in 1993, she spoke in San Francisco at a conference on the impact of biotechnology on agriculture. She had just attended the Akti Festival in India, which marked the beginning of a campaign by Indian peasants against the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade and the new system of patents on seeds that it creates. The objective of biotechnology, Vandana Shiva says, is not to allow the seed to give 10,000 seeds, but to end the reproduction of life and then claim a patent on that process. Under the patent rights in GATT, called intellectual property rights, ancient knowledge of farmers across the world is taken away, processed in the lab, and turned into the property of the drug or chemical company. Here is Vandana Shiva. On the day of the Akti festival, there's a festival where the agricultural season begins. Every villager brings their seed in these beautiful cups they make out of leaves to the village deity, which is normally just a rock, it's a rock under a tree. That's, and all of them bring it, you know, it could be 500 families, 200 families. Each of those rice uh, bowls is a different variety. And uh, they go through this amazing ritual and then they mix them up. And then the local priest uh, distributes this mixed rice back to everyone. It is to erase the notion of private property. It's to be conscious of diversity while doing agriculture, but recognizing that diversity makes its play only when it's given chance to mix around. And of course, there's the notion of the sacred built into it. There's the notion of multiplicity and continuity. One of the very important breaks that genetic engineering is in introducing is, is really truncating time. Mm -hmm. At the level of, of the past, by denying the history, denying where what property came from, not recognizing it nature, in nature, not recognizing it in the contribution of third world communities, and, and claiming it was created in the lab by, uh, you know, Pat Mooney's lovely phrase, white men in white lab coats. Into the future, it's truncating time too, because the technologies are meant to end reproduction of life. That's their objective. So if you take hybridization as a technology, its objective is to not allow seed to give seed. Its objective is to stop life reproducing on its own terms. If you take patenting, it has the same objective, except that it's done legally, through legal instruments rather than biological instruments. But either way, a plant where one seed could yield 10,000 seeds, you've killed the ability of nature to multiply 10,000 fold. I see that as the most crucial issue of sustainability, and we've never talked about it in those terms. I'm doing this program to conserve native seeds, 
And the seeds have lovely names. They tell you which village they came from. In, in my area in the Himalaya, they tell you which seed comes from Nepal and which comes from the Tarai. Because the names tell you that. This one is Paliopar or this one is across this river. The seeds carry memory and they carry gratitude. The new seeds deny both. Neem, you know, it's a tree we've used for centuries. It's a grandmother's tree. My mother treated me with neem. I've treated my son with neem. It's a medicinal plant. It's a pesticide plant. Where you plant a neem, you don't get malaria. You know, it just count anything about it. It has value. We brush our teeth with it. We bathe with it. We cure skin problems with it. Just the other day, yeah, I, I saw an article that says that an American dis discovered its pesticide properties. Oh. And that the first ever facility to be set up using Neem will be done by an American company called Grace. Now that w. assumption by W.R. Grace, this assumption of creation, is where the intellectual property rights notion comes in. Without intellectual property rights, genetic engineering fails. The other really crucial issue about genetic engineering is the denial of, uh, of <coughs> impacts on biological organisms, biohazards, biosafety. And there's a, an interesting contradiction built in here. When it's a claiming rights through intellectual property, then other people's knowledge is nature. Their organisms are just natural organisms. When it comes to saying we are not responsible for impacts of the organisms we deal with, then Bush turns around and says, these are natural organisms. Mm -hmm. So it's one kind of claim for patenting, and it's another kind of claim for running away from responsibility of impacts. For us in India, this has really become the key issue. The freedom of the seed, defined as the freedom of wilderness in the seed. Wilderness is not areas. Wilderness is the ability of life to reproduce on its terms. Wilderness then supporting communities that organize on their principles, self-organize, produce on their terms of what is necessary and what is not in their sense of value. And basically stating that life cannot be owned, that a system of, you know, a deep ecology system, a system of biodemocracy, recognizing that all species have rights which in the last few hundred years, Western civilization has denied it. We are now at a time where we must recognize those rights and intellectual property rights and genetic engineering as tools are both denials of rights of other species and rights of other cultures. That was Vanana Shiva, Indian scholar, environmental activist, ecofeminist, and anti-globalization author. Recorded in 1993, what she predicted so long ago came true at the June 2022 WTO conference in Geneva. Poor member countries demanded to be able to invest more in their own domestic production to promote food security and to subsidize food for the poor. Again, Rich countries who subsidize their farmers hundreds of times more per farmer than developing countries do blocked this outcome. Vanana Shiva lives on the farm inherited from her mother and has written more than 20 books. Her most recent is Terra Viva, 
Vandana Shiva was also one of the founding board members of the International Forum on Globalization, the IFG. I worked for the IFG as radio producer from 1992 until 1999. Come back for more on the no longer so secret side of the impact of global trade and the role of the World Trade Organization. You can hear this program again for free on TUC Radio's website, tucradio.org. My name is Maria Geleiden. Thank you for listening. <laughs>